0: Thank you. Appreciate it. Amen. Let's all, uh, you can be seated together. Thank you so much. I'm delighted that you're here today. My uh, youngest baby was willing to leave math class to come hear me preach today. What a sacrifice. Amen. (laughs) And uh, I'm glad that uh, Mariah could be with us today. I sure love my wife, and I thank God for her. Uh, Every day seems to bring back a remembrance to me. Of something that I learned when I was seated where you are and uh, memory lane has been a well-worn path for me this year just being here on campus and fielding questions and teaching and I'm paying forward what God put in my heart and so many people God used to make a difference in my life my mentor is in a hospital bed today and we don't know how that works out But I remember the sermon he preached the night that I graduated college and he took his text from the book of Thessalonians where Paul said, we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And one day, Dr. Getch and Pastor and Dr. R and all of us who invest in your lives hope to live long beyond our earthly journeys as you continue to stand for what you're receiving in this place. And uh, just an honor to preach to you. Uh, This morning, I do give you a bit of a warning. I resigned uh, my church uh, early in the summer, and I moved here. And uh, I've had lots of opportunities for the tea kettle just to leak a bit of energy in the classroom, but I haven't preached in a while. So uh, I'm praying a spontaneous combustion will be a controlled demolition this morning. So you pray for me. Uh, Have your Bible there in the book of the Revelation of Jesus in chapter 5 of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 5. We'll remain seated for the scripture reading this morning, but I want to put a question on you that we'll see very easily in the passage this morning, That I hope that you'll long remember, not just as you read this fifth chapter of the revelation of Jesus. And by the way, it's not the revelation of John. We know a lot about John, but what we really needed to know was about Jesus. And this revelation of Jesus in this fifth chapter gives us a great question. Who is worthy? I've lived long enough to know that I'm not worthy. And I've known a lot of great men, but they're not worthy. There's only one that's worthy, and his name is Jesus Christ. I'm reading from the first verse of this fifth chapter. The Bible says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying... Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of Many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. And can you read the remainder of verse 12 with me together? Ready, begin. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Have you answered... The worthy question. If you and I were transplanted to heaven this very day, what would we see? What would occupy our attention? What would fixate our minds? Clearly from this fifth chapter and even back to the fourth chapter of the Revelation, we would be mesmerized not by the street of gold and the mansion's however their configuration will be revealed to us someday, we will be fixated for eternity upon the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the heart of that city there is a throne. And in the heart of the throne there is the Son of God. In Revelations chapters 1, 2, and 3, we notice that Jesus was in the midst of the church But as we enter that door in chapter 4, verse 1, notice chapter 4, verse 2. John said, immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. Chapters 2 and 3 in the church age, we see Jesus in the midst of the church. But now, praise be to God, we see the church in the midst of the Lord Jesus. And won't it be wonderful someday to be forever with Him in heaven? So we see the throne of God. The Bible says so much about this throne. In 2 Chronicles 18, 18, the Scripture says again, He saith, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon His throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing on His right hand and on His left. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we see that the Lord Jesus has entered that throne by way of a cross... The writer of Hebrews says looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the British and Canadian system of parliament had to check my facts because of all of the Canadians in our school. In the British and Canadian system of parliament There's a tradition that's observed every time a new session of government begins. It may be after an election where a newly elected party calls the parliament to meet for the first time or the reconvening of the Congress after a summer break. At such time, the government prepares and the Queen in England or the Governor General in Canada reads what is called the throne speech. It's a speech that outlines the plans of the coming government, determining to carry forward these edicts and these goals into the future years. Though the speech doesn't give the final details and every uh, small detail that might be involved in this speech, it, in broad strokes and, and in an outline form, it expresses the final direction the government desires to set for Itself, And I want you to know, as we come into Revelation chapter number 5, we are reading the throne speech of the Lamb that sits upon the throne. From this point forward, as we know the revelation of Jesus Christ, the speech outlines the plans of God's government and is determined to carry forward God's designs in the coming eons of time. So this morning, for just a few moments... I want us to ponder truths from this heavenly scene. I want us to fixate our minds upon the Lord Jesus. And I want us to answer the question, who is worthy? If you're writing things down, number one, I want you to notice in this passage, the unopened book. The unopened book. Notice again in verse number one, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and without, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now, if you are maybe new to this passage, you would obviously ask the question, What is the identity or what are the contents of this book? There are no doubt several books that are described for us in the Bible. First of all, the Bible speaks of itself as being a book. In John chapter 12, verse 48, our Lord says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We, We know that there is the Bible, but that's not the book. John notices here in verse 1. We know in the Bible there is called a volume known as the Book of Man's Works. You find it in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 12. But the Bible says, "...I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their deeds." Of this book of man's works, Warren Wiersbe noticed that this book is insufficient to save anyone, but is necessary for determining the unbeliever's degree of punishment in hell. David himself speaks of this book of man's works in Psalm 139, verse 15, when David says, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect. And in thy book all my members were written when in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. But that's not the book. John grieves that cannot be opened. Thirdly, there is the book of life. We read about it in uh, Revelation 20 just a moment ago. The book of life. Paul even mentions this book in Philippians 4 verse 3. I entreat thee, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other fellow believers whose names are in the book of life. John is not grieving over an unopened Bible. He's not grieving over the inability of anyone in heaven to open the book of man's works or the book of life. This is a book of judgments that unfolds itself here in the Revelation account of Jesus. Notice chapter 6 very quickly if you have your Bible open and I hope you do. Chapter 6 verse 1, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals I heard as it were the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying come and see and I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him And then in verse 3, the second seal of this seven-sealed book is opened to the completion of those seals which are opened into chapter number 8. John finally says in Revelation uh, 11, verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. So this book, this unopened book, is this throne speech that outlines God's plans for sinful men that have turned in their rejection of Him as creator and Him as Lord. For you notice in chapter five and verse number nine, as the heaven begins to praise and coalesce around the glory of this God, It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to take the book and open the seals, for Thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God. And then in verse number 13 and 12, it speaks of God as our Creator. So this book is the unfolding of God's plans for the world and the nations that have forgotten God. But I don't just want you to see the unopened book. Number two, will you notice the unworthy congregation? Verse number 3, And no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book and to, loose this, uh, to look thereon. And I wept, much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book and neither to look thereon. Nobody was worthy. The language here has this idea, no one of any order of beings is worthy to open this book. He says no man in heaven was worthy to open the book no created being, no angel was worthy, signifies that no angel can penetrate the future and disclose what is to come. He says that not only no man in heaven was worthy, but notice secondly, no man on earth was worthy. Among all classes of people, sages and prophets and divines and philosophers, seminary professors, college PhDs, the presidents of the Woketopian Society, no one, no one was worthy on earth to open the seals of this book that discloses what only is reserved to God. Then he said, no man under heaven is worthy. I think there's an inference here to the supposed science of necromancy or the communication of of dead ones, not not even they in their state are worthy to, to open this book. Paul speaks about those in heaven and on earth and under the earth when he says in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the whole overarching argument here is no one outside of this lamb is worthy to open the book. No man was found worthy and John, now having this great conflict in verse 4, the Bible describes John as weeping. Can you imagine tears in heaven? And the idea is that John begins to cry and his weeping is loud and profuse and he keeps on crying and emoting that who is worthy to open this book? Oh, I thought about the author of this book of the Revelation. Somebody yell at me who wrote this book of the Bible. His name was who? was John, I want you to hold your place here and I want you to go back to the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark in the 10th chapter. It's always interesting to me how the Lord Jesus is able to make such changes in people's lives. One of the first glimpses we have into the character of John and his brother James is Jesus assigns a name to them of sons of thunder, clouds without rain, Trumpet blowers without sound, loud mouths that probably had a prolific Twitter account. And it's John, the first time you meet John in in the gospel records, he's, he's asking Jesus if we can rain down some fire from heaven and destroy cities that have turned away from the preaching of Jesus. And here in Mark chapter number 10, John, along with his brother James, asks a really incredible question. The Bible says, preceding these Verses that Jesus and his disciples, verse 32, were heading to the city of Jerusalem. And it was heard that Jesus here in Jerusalem was not coming as a tourist. He was coming as the vicarious substitute for our sins. That on this trip to Jerusalem, he's going to give his life to be buried. And he's going to rise again. And when James and John get a hold of this idea that the glory that awaits the Son of God is imminent to come, they, they say to themselves, now is our time to ask the question. Verse 35... And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? Verse 37, they said unto him, Grant, us, grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. When you enter into your kingdom, we'd like to sit as bookends of your glory on the throne in heaven. Now maybe they had let some of this revelation that Jesus had allowed them into, don't you think maybe they allowed some of that power and privilege go to their heads just a bit? After all, it was John along with Peter and James in chapter 9 of Mark who were allowed to go to the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was metamorphosized in their presence. It was Peter and James and John who were invited by the Lord Jesus to go down into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with the Lord Jesus on that night of His passion. It was Peter and James and John who were allowed to be places the other disciples were not allowed to be. And it was John, was it not, that leaned upon the bosom of deity in the upper room when Jesus was about to leave that room and go die for their sins and mine. And it sure does seem to me as I think about the author of these words in Revelation 5, the one that is weeping may be in all of our opportunity and exposure. And by the way, if you sit in a place like this, Judgment Day will be different for you than it will be for others. Because with increased light comes increased accountability, and to whom much is given, much will be required why it pains the chapel speaker to see someone sleeping or for a teacher to see someone not investing themselves because God will hold these truths to our account. And listen, it's not that the truth would go to our heads. It's that the truth would get into our hearts and change us for God's glory. Maybe we start to feel a bit significant and a bit worthy But when John sees Jesus as he is and he sees the Lamb enshrouded in all of his glory, he weeps because neither he nor an angel nor anyone under the earth is worthy of the glory that only belongs to Jesus. We see the unopened book and the unworthy congregation, but thirdly, will you notice the unrivaled Lamb? The unrivaled Lamb. John's attention is pointed to the throne in verse number 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Verse 6, And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want you to mark these words in verse 5. And one of the elders saith, Behold the lion. Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, a lamb. Behold the lion! And I looked, and I beheld the lamb. What about the prevailing Lamb, the Bible says, or lion, it says in verse 5, he hath prevailed. The word means he won, he overcame, he, he prevailed, he was superior, he subdued and conquered, he won the cause. Are you awake this morning? Did the lion win the cause? Is he victorious? Oh yes, he's victorious. But the representative of this great victory... The figure of this great kingdom is not just the lion. Verse number 6 is a lamb. I'm taken by that lamb. I don't know about you, but I'd I just like to give my life to that lamb. By, it says here in verse 6, stood a lamb as it had been slain. The word means to butcher, to slaughter by violence, to pulverize. A lamb as it had been slain. The lamb that had been slain, that was slain, but it's no longer dead, it's alive and it lives never to die again. He has the marks of sacrifice upon him. He has the nail prints of his hands. And someone said, the only thing in heaven made by sinful hands of men are the nail prints in the hands of Jesus. I looked and I saw a lamb. He says in verse 5 this lamb had power to reveal the word. In verse 6 it says the lamb had power to redeem the world. Look at verse number 9. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. Read the next three words with me, would you please? By thy... Say it again. By thy blood, this Lamb has the power to redeem. We learn that this this Lamb has power to reckon judgment upon the wicked... So we see a concluding factor, a concluding truth in these verses that Jesus is not one of the worthy ones. Jesus is not among the holy ones. He's not among the holy prophets. He sits alone as King of kings and Lord of lords. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning, it is today, and it shall always be that Jesus Christ alone is worthy of all glory and praise. Only Jesus has the power and right of revelation. Only Jesus has the power to disclose the future. Only Jesus is worthy because these are the results of His sufferings and His glory. So we see one now that is worthy to open this book. Verse 7, And He came and took the book out of the right hand of Him that sat upon the throne. And when He had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and Golden vials of odors, verse 9, and they said, Worthy is the Lamb. Verse 2, Who is worthy? Verse 4, No man is worthy. Verse 9, Thou art worthy. Number 4, I want you to notice the unanimous veneration. The unanimous veneration. He is worthy. He's worthy. Why? Number 1, He's worthy because... There was an estimation of his cross work. An estimation of his cross work. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. Where would you go in this world to search out the glory of the Lamb? I grew up in the hills of East Tennessee. I'm sure when I speak, you cannot tell. I didn't know I had an accent until I moved to California. I lived 15 years in the state of Florida. Grew up in the mountains, lived by the ocean. Came to California and realized there's places in the world that have both. But where would you go to see the glory of the Lamb? From Maui to Milan, somewhere in the Milky Way, between the moon or Manhattan, no, to search out the glories of the roaring lion, you would have to take a journey to Calvary. Or perfect righteousness and perfect love collided with perfect justice and perfect holiness. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Oh, when you estimate what Jesus accomplished for us, and you know what I think our problem is? I think we've forgotten that we've been saved and I think we've forgotten why He needed to redeem us. He needed to redeem us because we were children of disobedience. We were born stillborn. We chose to disobey God. And Jesus, in loving kindness and mercy, took on flesh without ceasing to be God and He fulfilled the righteous demands of the holy law. They spit upon Him. They put a crown of thorns upon His head. And the world said, how much do you love mankind? And he said, I love them this much. He died in our place. When you esteem the sacrifice of Jesus, you come away saying, only Jesus Christ is worthy. They esteem him because of his cross work. and, And then notice there's an eternal chorus of worship. Can I just tell you something? You know, praise is contagious. Somebody gets right with God and begins to praise the Lord. But there's a contagious nature to that, so, so too of criticism. Notice the, the chain of praise in verse number 8. You might want to circle these. And when he had taken the book and the four beast, you might want to circle that, the four beast. and then the four and twenty elders in verse 8. Then you get down to verse number 11, and I beheld and I heard the voice of of many angels, and and then the angels begin to multiply in 10,000 and 10,000 times 10,000, and then an innumerable host all the way to verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven shouting blessing and honor and power be unto him. C.S. Lewis that said, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. He is God. and We ought to love him because of what he's done for us. I'm just telling you this morning, Jesus is worthy. Though he was rich in relationships and communion and worship, he became poor coming to his own, and his own received him not. His eternal crown of glory was replaced by an ignominious crown of thorns. He left the light of the celestial city to suffer alone in the darkness of Golgotha. He who created the waters cries out from the cross, I thirst. He who in Genesis 1 created space, matter, and time humbles himself to the tyrannical domain of the same. He who rode upon the clouds, borrowed in a glorious donkey on which to ride into Jerusalem, columns of heaven's angels once cried, holy, 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 were followed now by a pathetic army of those who spit on my Jesus' beautiful face. When I walk the darkened hallways of yesterday's failures, I'm constantly reminded I'm not worthy. But when I turn my eyes upon Jesus, I remember once again, Jesus Christ is worthy and all God's people ought to say. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to give you one more truth. Number five. I want you to think about the uncertain response of creation. And can I just remind you of something? You don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. You can confess that and you ought to, but He is Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I don't make Him worthy, brother. He is worthy. But i got to be honest with you. There are times in my life I don't esteem him worthy of what he requires. Maybe some of you are sitting here and God has been working in your heart to do something for him. And you're turning him away. You're rejecting him. Maybe he's called some of you to give your life as a missionary and you know what it will cost you. And you've estimated all of this out. Talked to a guy one time seeking to know God's will, and he said, I take a piece of paper out, and I write cons on one side, and I write pros on the other, and if there's more pros than cons, I believe it's God's will. Good luck with that. Can I ask you a question? Is he worthy? Some of you have secret sins in your life, and you fought... Tireless times to be rid of their dominion in your life, I want to ask you a question. Is he worthy? I come away with this belief that there's nothing too great for me to give to this God who is so awesome, so wonderful in my life. He is worthy. Dr. Charles Keene wrote about the worthiness of God in foreign missions. He said when his daughter was eight years old, his daughter told he and his wife that she had surrendered to be a missionary. He said, I was great with that. A few years later, she went to university, studied for missions, married a missionary, and on she went. He said a few years later, another daughter of mine was married. Her name is Joy. She married the son of a preacher from a fine family. One night, the second daughter came to me and said, Dad, I want to talk to you about something. Are you sitting down? She said, God has called me and my husband, Dan, to be a missionary in Africa. Dr. Keene said, you know, I'm just human, I'm a father and a grandfather, and I said, God, I've already given you one daughter, do I have to give you another one? And God said, Charles, I gave you all I had. I only had one, and I gave him to you. Is he worthy? Love's so amazing. Love so divine demands my soul, my life. Say it with me, my all. Is he worthy?